man, I'll tell you. So often, works are what are emphasized in Christian circles. This is Peter John on this Tuesday morning, live. Yes, I am still alive. <laughs> More importantly, Jesus Christ is alive. Which means that not only are we alive now, but we will forever have a life. Anyways, welcome to Rogue Grace. It is amazing to me, as I noted just now, how often people, we assume that we need to serve Jesus which which we which we do don't get me wrong but more than that listen to this more than that i just need jesus <laughs> how often we tend as christians to emphasize your service for jesus and wow that is extremely viable in terms of importance for a Christian. In every single one of the New Testament epistles, in Paul's letters, and in Jesus' teachings on grace, service only comes after you're seated at his feet. Remember, you do, I'm sure, there in John where Martha was all frustrated, wasn't she? She was a bit angry at her sister, her younger sister, Mary, who was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him as he was sharing and speaking from the scriptures there in their house. And Martha says, Jesus, tell my sister to get on up and help me. And Jesus, you know, says, Martha, don't you know Mary has chosen the better part? <laughs> better than serving. Better than being busy, better than anything, is sitting at Jesus' feet. So again, as I stated, I don't just need Jesus in order to get things done and accomplished. I just need Jesus. I don't need to serve Jesus as much as I just need Jesus. That's, that's radical. So much so that most of the church today just doesn't get it. In a time of desperation
But if you do not believe Moses' writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus asked the Pharisees. You see, he had just told them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. All of these things Jesus is telling these guys speak of me. Otherwise, they have no purpose, no point, and no power. And I'm just reminded that, you know, you can come to the Bible instead of coming to Jesus. That's right. So can I, so can any person where they put so much emphasis on doctrine and the Bible and the all a G and yet miss out on experiencing the personality of Jesus. It's when I realize it's in Jesus. When I realize it's Jesus, when I see that it's Jesus, then the Bible finds its rightful place. But if I think that the Bible is Jesus, in the sense that all I need to get is my ducks in a row doctrinally, then I will know God not so much. Because Jesus says you can read these things and still miss out on the point. It's all about Jesus, as you know. I like that song we just heard when the guy sang, In our weakness and our temptation, we believe. I love that. Lord, even in my weakness, I believe. Even when I'm tempted, I believe. Jesus, they asked, what must we do to do the works of God? You know what he said, right? Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. You want to do the works of God, don't you? <clears throat> That's why you're listening to KEPL. <laughs> I want to do the works of God. Okay, what are they? Believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Martha, Martha, don't you know that Mary has chosen the better part? Just loving on and enjoying and sitting at his feet, Jesus, that is the better part. You, dear K-Apple listener, <laughs> are counted by God as being kind and unselfish and moral and good and pure. Wait a minute, Pete, Pete, uh, uh, you don't know who, who you're talking to on the other side of the airwaves there. I, I'm not known as being kind, unselfish, or moral necessarily. And if people think that about me, it's because I have them tricked. Notice what Paul says throughout the New Testament. What the New Testament declares, you are counted as being kind, unselfish, and moral. Isn't that great? You're, you're counted as that. It's imputed 
to you. So even if you don't have that or are not that, you are counted as that. Because one day you will be. When you see Jesus face to face, to see him is to be like him, we are told. But get this, even as you're counted as being kind, unselfish, and moral, listen. You're not a Christian because you are those things. But vice versa, you are those things because you are a Christian. Can you follow what I'm saying? You're not kind, unselfish, and moral because you're a Christian. You're a Christian. Wait a minute, I just messed that up. Totally. You are not a Christian because you are kind, unselfish, and moral. You are kind, unselfish, and moral because you're a Christian. Because Christ is in your heart. Because you're robed in his righteousness. I think of what Abraham showed, what he did, how he pulled it off in Genesis 15. You remember? I'm going to cut covenant with God so that God will meet me halfway in order to secure the promise of having a son that he had promised me, that that I can know I'm going to receive from God what he had promised. I'll cut a covenant with God. And so, you know the story. Abraham gets everything ready. He, he takes the livestock and has them slaughtered. He divides the body so there's a path, a blood path between them, wherein he can walk and ultimately meet God. Shake on it, as it were. You do your part and I'll do mine. You know the story, right? It didn't quite go that way, because... Uncle Abe, Father Abe, Father Abe, that's probably more accurate, conks out, falls asleep, deep sleep, and then God comes and goes through the entire covenant himself. See, that's important because Abraham was before the law. We are, if you would, living under the same covenant as Abraham in many ways. An Abrahamic new covenant. In many ways, the new covenant is actually the oldest covenant in some ways. And it was when Abraham fell asleep that God says, I'm doing the whole thing to show you you're going to have a son I'm going to go through from beginning to end all by myself. You're not meeting me halfway, big guy. God says, I will do it. I wonder if you ever feel, uh, maybe not you, but someone you know, you know, I'm tired of trying so hard. (laughs) I give up trying to be a Christian. You know what? Good. You're not called to try to be a Christian. Try so hard. You're called to believe. And then you are justified. And as a result of that, you will obey. It's not the other way around. It's not believe, obey, and you are justified. As so many wrongly 
view Christianity to be. It's no, believe, be justified, and then obey. But you are already justified, so you want to obey. There's nothing wrong with the law, obviously. In fact, the law is all right. I don't just mean all right, I mean all right. The problem is when you rely on the law as the basis to be counted as righteous. That's the problem because you fall short and so do I. But Jesus Christ kept the law flawlessly so that now as he laid down his life for you and me and had risen from the dead to validate this, you are given the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. In other words, God loves you very much. I lean out on my own understanding My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven I lean out on my own understanding My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven i
know, if you look at Abraham, you find that life is a journey. As you know, the guy traveled from Babylon or the Ur of Chaldees, Babylon, to Jerusalem, to the promised land, which would become the land of promise, which was Canaan. And when you study his journey, it is so parallel with yours and mine. We find, like Abraham, that the journey is not always pleasant, right? But it is perfect. The journey might not be pleasant all of the time, but it is perfect. Because, as you know, the New Testament says, For we know all things work together for the good to them that love God. Notice all things work together for the good. That doesn't mean all things are good. (laughs) But they work together for the good. So it might, of the experience, might have been far from pleasant. But it was perfect, no matter what it was that you go through. Not pleasant, but perfect. I remember some time ago, my wife put out a meal for our family, for me and the four girls and herself. She had cooked it, prepared it. And as you, if you've had kids, you know that there comes for some of them a time of life when they're little and they like things like hot dogs and SpaghettiOs and the things like, let's say, a filet mignon or something that is a delicatessen that they're, they're, not, they're not very fond of. Well, that was the case for one of them who is always saying about every meal, and it's not on my wife's cooking, it's on her taste buds. She would say, oh, it's disgusting. Finally, I I can't remember if it was me or Amanda, my wife, or both of us, probably. No more. No more of that. No more making that comment. So she stopped for a little while, and then my wife put out another great meal. My wife's a great cook, by the way. She puts out a, a meal on the table, and we take a few bites, and the same little one, who was small but opinionated, said, oh, mom, it's just a little bit disgusting. <laughs> oh, and you know, as I was saying, life is not perfect. It's just a little bit disgusting. <laughs> you have something that's a little bit disgusting in your life, in a relationship or physically with your health or financially, no doubt. But When all is said and done, God is going to work everything together for good. And not because it's of you. Listen, it doesn't say, for we know we work everything together for the good. No, all things work. We don't work. Get that. We don't work. All things work together for the good.
this. The shorter Elijah prayed, the more power he saw. Let me explain. His entire prayer when he called down fire, you know the story? On the altar, there on Mount Carmel. This is his entire prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, that the people may know that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then it says, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. That was his whole prayer. Couple sentences. Well, as you may know the story, after that occasion, there on the mount, the same mountain, at the same day, Elijah told the king of Israel, Ahab, there's going to be the rushing of rain. And after Elijah said this, because there had been a drought, right? He bowed himself to the earth and put his face between his knees. Wow, now he's going to pray. He's really going to pray now. And it says that he prayed seven times. So, wow, that's a more powerful prayer, right? Not just saying, Lord, thank you for hearing me. Let everyone know that you are a God. That's too simple. I mean, that's fine. But all it did was bring fire from heaven and consume the altar. He needs, now though, he's praying seven times with his head between his knees and he's showing us what it means to truly be in agony during prayer. And yet, it says, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. This little tiny cloud comes, and yes, it brings some rain for sure, but I would have thought it would have been the other way. If you just simply say the Lord is God and he is good and trust in him, there's going to be a little tiny cloud coming your way. Yes, thank you, Lord. Tiny prayers with tiny answers. And then you're on your knees seven times with your head between your knees like Elijah. Your head between your knees? Wow. I don't think I'm even flexible enough to do that once. Then that's going to bring the power, right? It brought a little tiny cloud. After seven times. So it's not always about praying more. Not always. Not always. Because your praying isn't necessarily contingent upon its length. And we, listen, we pray not to get closer to God, but because we are already close to God. Have you ever been next to someone, with someone you're really close to? I mean, a BFF or your spouse, maybe your child when they're young, not when they're teenagers, or your parents when you're young, not a teenager, or older. But I mean, have you ever been around them? And you don't have to say anything at all. I'm not saying, okay, God, I don't need to say anything at all because you already know me. No, as my dad has pointed out, beautifully there's a good possibility that if you look at jesus he has chosen to take upon himself 
a limited knowledge, not because he's inferior to God the Father or the Holy Spirit, he is equal with them, but because he's chosen to relate to you and I so that when we tell him something, it really is brand new to him, to Jesus. And by the way, when you look at Jesus, you never see he had a problem with anyone praying too short. He just had problems with people that prayed too long. <laughs> Praise God. And when he, they asked him, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he did. He gave them a, a prayer, didn't he? 45 seconds long. My point isn't not, not, not to say don't pray. My point is to say to you, talk to Jesus, talk to God the Father all day long. In 45 second increments if you need to. And for sure when you're feeling in any given day, the blessing of hanging out with the Lord, praying to him, maybe even hour after hour, cool. But as Elijah shows us, that doesn't necessitate in order to have God answer the prayer. Elijah made a one-sentence prayer or so, and boom, fire comes down. Elijah prays on his knees seven times, and a little cloud comes. It's in the same chapter, and it gives us, I think, maybe some insight to God's heart when it comes to your talking with him. We'll be right back. Your joy when the morning comes, your hope keeps me looking up. You are enough. Your peace, the eye of every storm, your strength when my heart is born. Your voice 
Aren't you glad that when it comes to God's grace, he has chosen you and he didn't say, oops, it it doesn't involve a stork. It's not simply the heat of a moment that God doesn't have to take, didn't take necessary precautions in that way. Like people have to, parents, adults, married folks have to, nope, nope. His adoption of you was a deliberate decision. As you know, it's a court sanction through which parents take full responsibility. And this goes all the way back to the Bible times in Rome. Even more so, I mean, in Rome, back in the first century, adoption was not an act of charity, but a business decision. A wealthy family would look at that young man they were adopting to manage the estate, to become the CEO, if you would. So if they didn't have a son, or they thought their kids, their sons were dorks, they deemed them incompetent, they would adopt someone from another family. So you look at Roman records, and often Caesars themselves were adopted as children. Amazing. That's the idea that Paul brings when he talks about huiasthesia, or the status you have as a child of God, an heir. You weren't an oops. You were a deliberate decision by God, the Father who has chosen you to be his child. That is is good news. So, glad to leave you on that good note. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Thank you for tuning in to Rogue Grace. We'll rebroadcast this baby at 10 a.m. Come on out to church tomorrow night for our Wednesday night Bible study in the book of Esther. (laughs) Esther? What in the world? Ecclesiastes with my pop, John Corson. Looking forward to seeing you there. Lord willing. Talk to you soon. Tomorrow. Bye.